The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Identity matters. Now, if there's any time we really need a clear head, it's really on this particular message. We are going to go through it rather quickly because we have taken a three-day conference and packed it into one day. So you are definitely getting the fire hose type of approach to this whole thing. But this is pivotal. Identity Matters message is really what it's all about. So hopefully... Lord Jesus, you have revived our minds enough to be very alert to what you want to share with us about really does identity matter that much and get that question answered today. When you think of identity, as I tell people in our church that in the English language, uh, our English language comes from Latin. And the Latins were very good at keeping the word pictures intact on the most part. They played around with them a lot. They're quite a ways away from the pictorial Hebrew. Even the Hebrew language that's used today in Israel is for revisions out from pictorial. I can sit down with a Hebrew person, they can show me modern Hebrew, and I can show them pictorial Hebrew, and it blows them away. Because they don't even get trained in Hebrew in schools today in pictorial Hebrew. It's in modern Hebrew. And I'm afraid that the revisions can be proved in history of the Jews wanting, the Hebrew people wanting to remove Jesus Christ from the original writings. Because they're in there. Two of the letters in their alphabet. One is nailed, secured to a cross. Covenant means nailed to the cross. So, you know, those things are gone in modern Hebrew. So, going back to some of the original stuff is good. Now, we need to look at a word, identity. And in Latin, they tried to keep a certain visual impact in it. And English is taken from Latin. And most of the time you can find the definition of the word in the word because of the Latin blessing that's been given to us. Someone please tell me the word in identity. The word picture found in identity. Dent. Impact. If you take a tin can and you just constantly badger that thing to death over a period of a few hours, it's going to look like it went through a train wreck. It's going to be all dented up. Whatever has made the biggest impact in your life is what is going to be your identity. Rejection, Godship, it will be your identity. I dent a T. It's all about what is affecting the eye. What is impacting me? Am I a people pleaser? Why do people's opinions matter? The word opinion. Does anyone want to try to risk dicing that baby up? Huh? Opinion. Wings. 
Satan was accused of something when he was standing before the throne of God and getting ready to act out his godship. For those of you who do not understand out of Ezekiel, Satan was responsible for taking his pinions and covering the throne of God. Can you imagine that responsibility? Opinion comes from removing the wings and disrobing God. That is the history of the word opinion. Your opinions mean nothing to me. My opinions mean nothing to me. I'm not interested in a becoming a part of the tree of knowledge of revealing, the taking my opinions and revealing who God is. That is not my job. Opinion is a nasty word. And people's opinions of the scriptures is now coming out with, well, that's your interpretation of that passage. Really? And that excuse is not working anymore because it's literally developing a movement within the church that has homosexual pastors and female pastors and and transvestite pastors. And I'm in dialogue with this female pastor from out east. We are having a fun time in the dialogue. She initially responded to an article that I wrote called uh, Hipster Christianity. She cussed me up one wall and down the other one. And I emailed her back and I said, I got to tell you, you're just flat out refreshing to me. She says, we do serve beer on Sunday morning. And we do go out to clubs, and we do, and you're right on that stuff, but what you're not right on, and she went into this whole female gospel thing, the gospel of Mary Magdalene, and all this other stuff that's hitting the church, and the church is having to make a decision if they're going to accept these new gospels into the Word of God. There's a translation coming that's going to integrate these four gospels in the Bible. Because the canonization process is being proved as being flawless. Flaw, filled with flaws. There's a new movement coming on the horizon that is going to reveal the identity of the enemy like you've never seen before. And my guess is, and my mentor agrees with me, that 90% of the self-proclaimed Christians aren't going to bat an eye. You see, when the NIV came out, it was a fairly conservative Bible translation, although I've never supported NIV because of what they did with the old dog, white dog theology. They completely removed the trinity of man. They're dichotomist. This is fighting ground for churches. Dichotomy versus trichotomy. There's hate being shared in the church just over that one issue. Three versus two parts. Seriously, that simple piece of doctrine affects the, the Trinity doctrine's affects identity beyond an intense fashion of living life. And so, opinions... No, they don't impress me. It shouldn't impress you either. Did God say it? I put the verse in front of them. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Of the body, soul, and spirit being sanctified. What say ye? 
Well, that really depends. Have you read that from the Greek? No, I've read it from the Hebrew. Well, you can't read that from the Hebrew. Oh, yes, I can. The book of Revelation is written for Hebrew people. Word pictures. It's an incredible book. You have to literally understand the word pictures of God to understand the book of Revelation. Greek or not. There's so many arguments over that book because it's the final picture of the final acts of God. Identity matters. Now let's break it down. This is the unsaved man in the flesh. It's another pictorial of, but focusing on the trinity of man. You have the soul, which is trinity, parts, body, soul, uh, mind, will, and emotions. You have the old nature, which is the imagery of Satan, in full-on control of this person. And that old nature is putting anything it wants into that depraved mind, I believe is what the word calls it. That mind is darkened according to Romans 8, 6. And that darkened mind presses and pushes those thoughts into the will. And the crap I hear come over my my, uh, Skype or emails or or phone or whatever just kind of twists my mind sometimes. Like, where did you get that? How did you get that out of that verse? That's a twisted mind. It says this, and I simply repeat it back. How did you get that interpretation of that Bible verse? Well, our church is paraphrasing the New Testament to train our youth how to think. So you're coming up with your own paraphrase? By the minds of these twisted youth? Could I buy a copy? Just as I told this hipster pastor out on the East Coast, I said... May I have permission to use your emails and teachings? Because I've I've given her lots of kudos and respects of, I'm learning a lot from you. This, This gal knows her stuff. She has all the scriptural reasons of drinking liquor on Sunday morning and going clubbing and why they dress the way they dress. Why they wear the glasses that they wear. Why they tattoo. Why they... I'm asking her tons of questions because I've never been in that world. I certainly know how to write about it. I know they're the grandchildren of the Masons. I know that part. She said that to me. I said, okay, we're in agreement on that. But I said, do you know what your grandfather's mission was with the church? She says, yeah, I've got that one nailed down too. I said, well, what is it? What do the Masons want to accomplish? So she told me. And she was right on that one. I said, well, what's the end result of your hipster religion? And uh, that's the piece that I shared with you earlier. Christ can be anyone you want him to be. 
gay, married to Mary Magdalene, having a child from that relationship, and that's the Christ that's coming back. This is what I'm hearing. You guys actually believe this? That you will serve the Son of Jesus Christ? Literally? From the relationship of Mary Magdalene? And the sex that he had with her? Yes. See, everything's got an end time story. It doesn't just stop with emergence. Everything has a reason for the lie. For an end time reason. So, the Antichrist will... She doesn't call this Christ an Antichrist. It will literally be a flesh-born grandchild of Jesus Christ from Mary Magdalene. There's proof of this in history books. That this engagement between Christ and Mary Magdalene took place. I think there was even a movie about it. Which closed the deal on truth. They really believe it. Because of identity. You see, the old nature can just lie, lie, lie all day long to an unsaved person. And the unsaved person goes, that's truth. That's truth. That's truth. And then when you tell them what truth really is, that it's actually an engaged relationship. See, if that's truth, then I'm telling you that in the Hebrew, truth means betrothed. It means I am promised to someone. It means I'm going to get married. It means there's going to be a wedding feast. And it means that my husband saved himself for me and that he's going to have this feast to communicate and bless his bride. That means he is still single, young lady. That means he is preserving himself for his bride. That means I am engaged to him. Don't use the word truth with me. Don't throw it around like a rag doll. You're speaking of my husband. You're speaking of the living God and his son. So if you want to say the opinion of my people are, I'm with you. But don't go using a word that describes one of the names of my husband. For I am the truth. For I am the life. For You see, those are names of the son of God. And we throw them around with this self-opinion thing and it's doing nothing more than revealing this is how they're functioning. We start out in Adam because we started out in our daddy. So my daddy, grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, how far do we take that back? All the way to Adam. Because of Adam's first sin, therefore just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. To have some pastors have these conversions that you're not born into sin, that was conservative evangelical doctrines I'm not buying into anymore. I'm into more of a universalist approach. 
There's a pastor that I worked with in Washington, D.C. He's a very famous pastor out on the West Coast, and he's written tons of material. I'm going to go ahead and say his name. I do have him on my text list. We do engage in conversation occasionally, but his name is Rick Warren. And there were rumors going around that he went emergent, and those of us who knew him a bit knew it wasn't rumors. He is responsible for satellite churches all over the Midwest. The influence that is taking place through this universalist approach to the church, Christians are buying up. They don't even want to hear about this Rick Warren deception thing anymore. They don't want to hear about it anymore. Just leave us alone. As this one church I was telling you about earlier, who was going to use this movie as a gateway to introduce unsaved people to the church. I just cannot find Christ in that. It just doesn't make any sense to me as an indwell believer. Where do they get this stuff from their identity? So this guy is freaking out because he knows that his dad was a sinner, his grandpa, his great-grandpa, all the way back to Adam. And because Adam's sin, death spread through every generation. The end goal being what Romans 3.23 says and Romans 6.23 is the end result is this is a slippery slide and you are on your way to hell and you can't go past go or collect your 200 bucks. This is, this is a fatal ending in this story. So Satan and his little team gets around the table and goes, hmm, this is really not good. These evangelicals have got this thing figured out. How can we set this up in such a way that destination hell no longer exists? Shannon, what were some of the other conclusions of this survey that Kirk did? He asked the same people coming out of the movie, if they believed there was a flood. And what was the result? I think all of them said they agreed that it was a flood. And then... Atheist. I thought it was 99% of them said that uh, they believed that there was a Noah. Was it from you guys I heard the story? Okay, I'm asking the wrong person. You're communicating my story that I shared with you. Okay, let's get back to the source. So, what were the percentages again? It's very interesting. 99% believe that there was a Noah. Only 1% believe that there was an actual flood that happened because they said that they didn't believe that um, a flood of that you know, size actually existed. And then there was one lady who said that she doesn't believe that God would be so judgmental and so cruel that she didn't even believe there was a hell. 
Yeah. And that's when he asked her, well, we have a legal system, you know, and then he went into that. And then he started comparing, like, the movies of Hollywood and the sex scenes in Hollywood to um, somebody just going up to somebody's house and looking through their window and watching a married couple have sex and ask them what they thought the difference would be. And then there was the one woman who said she was very comfortable in her atheism and she could care less. Okay. Now, the end result, everything has always got a last story. There has to be a conclusion. These ugly uh, Lord of the Flies guys are sitting around the table going, we have to logically stay with the same logical pathway that God designed these human minds because they have to have a final story to everything. They don't like reading books with no story finishing off at the end. They don't like getting up halfway through a movie and going, oh, we don't get to watch the rest of this movie. we got to tell the rest of the story. And the evangelicals are sticking to their point of saying, you will go to hell. One generation ago, Hellfire and damnation passionate pastors were the most popular pastors on the face of the earth. Billy Graham used to be a hellfire damnation preacher. Yes, he was. Spurgeon was the kind of preacher you'd listen to and he had a reputation of the people hanging on to the pew in front of them because they were afraid the floor would fall out from underneath them. Spurgeon. I can go on and on and on and on. How did in two generations this whole thing get all twisted and bunched up? Where did we get to the point that your average church is saying, I'm not quite sure there's a hell? Really? Are you willing to say with me you're not quite sure there's a Satan? Shall we cut his name out of the Bible on maybe one of your 2017 revisions? When they brought the teen NIV into my office and two of us were picked to actually review this, for the teenagers, and that right in that entry page it said, we have removed five words that are offensive to teenagers. He warned us right up front as readers. I picked that up and I walked it back into Ted's office and I said, I will not read this book. They just removed five of the most potent words in the entire New Testament. Sin. Sinner. Repentance. I won't go there. I will not even read it. There's no purpose in it. It happened to be the translation that pastors all over this nation adopted. One of my dear friends, confidants in the, in, in the world of the exchange life, Charles Stanley, his own son adopted the TNIV like it was the first Bible that ever hit the earth. And started putting these quotes out there, and I knew exactly what happened to that translation. Now he is behind, for example, this whole movement of the gender-friendly version translations. We have two of them out now. The C.S. Lewis translation is a gender-friendly translation taken from the American Standard Version. And then you have 
the new NIV. Well, I contacted someone in NIV and I asked them, what, what you going to do with the old one? They're not going to print it anymore. In fact, they have stopped printing it. So anytime you order a new Bible of NIV, they're not even using gender language with it anymore. They just want you to buy the new NIV. And guess what version you will get? 91% of the pastors in America use NIV for their study Bibles. I'll tell you what it's going to look like in five years. You'll need to be on being a conservative Christian. You'll need to have the mind of Christ to discern that level of deception. That's going to hit us very soon. But believing there is no hell says there really is no Satan. To believe there is no Satan says there is no Godship. To believe there is no Godship, there is nothing that we should call rejection. We need to love everybody. We need to share peace with everyone. We need to be about peace, 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 peace. See where it's going? It has an end story. The Antichrist will be the most peaceful man you've ever met. For a while. He's a male chauvinist pig. He's letting women have control so he can get control of them. You and I can't be male chauvinists. You think that we can. We can just adopt to his beliefs. But I'm telling you what. This being hates women. He's not respectful of marriage. He's not respectful of women. He is going to seize control of the entire world through abuse. But that's the second three and a half years of his seven-year reign. The first three and a half is, you're cool. You're all right. Drink in your services. Have your homosexual pastors. You're all cool. And the truth is, he's erasing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people are not making that transition to eternal life. God's goal is simple. John fifteen sixteen tells us, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask of the Father, he will give you. You realize that from the Adamic life that you are born a sinner and if you do not receive salvation and be transferred into the eternal life of Christ and that exchange does not take place, that's the only way to terminate hell for you in your mind, your life. It's not by erasing the doctrines of God. There has to be an exchange. Not I. But Christ. And the only way to get that, to get this double-edged sword that's on the cross, this double meaning, is really a single meaning, and that is, I need to be dropped into the eternal life, so whatever is in the past of Christ is in my past. Whatever is in my present is in Christ's present. Whatever is in the future for Christ is in my future. It's called eternal life. Hebrews 13.8 says, For he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change for your emergent culturalism. There's no new Christianity needed, Rob. There's no new Jesus needed. 
The one we got is just fine. He did the job and he did it well. But those dudes sitting around that table are going, man, we got to bypass this thing. This thing's getting out of control. One Jesus. And we're going to lose on this thing, guys, if we don't ramp up here. Has anyone got any television preachers we can start manipulating? Uh, I've got four pastors over in Minnesota that are... uh, You think I'm lying to you, joking with you, but Satan's got a plan. He knows who the the weak links are in the church, and those are the ones he's going to go after. He doesn't want this to happen. Not only were we crucified with him, but Romans 6, 4 tells us we were buried with him in the likeness of his death. We were resurrected with him. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says we were placed at the right hand of God with him. And God said that he put Christ in us and and us in Christ and then he hid the two of us in his bosom, in him. And we run around thinking that those dudes around that table can destroy us. Liar, liar, pants on fire. He can't get at us and it makes him angry. And true indwelt Christians who know who they are in Christ are untouchable. They'll have bad days, they'll slip and fall, but I'm telling you, they're untouchable. In the long run. Now Christ through you, He is the one doing the work through the generate spirit, renewing your mind up into the will. The will is choosing the renewed mind stuff. Emotions support it, drops into the body as Christ's life behavior. Simple plan, folks. Very simple plan. So to sit around the table and have them come up with dichotomy argument versus trichotomy argument, he's going to drop this thing off the chart tonight. Well, you sound like a trichotomist. I am. Well, you sound like this whole thing of the spirit and the soul of man is not the same thing. You're right. You see, Christ needs a perfect place to dwell. Because he's perfect. He cannot share space with another master. Your silly human mind or Satan himself. This black dog, white dog thing the NIV did is nothing more than sin. That old nature is dead. Please, gentlemen, tell me why it says it is and you won't believe that it is. Well, we're not sure exactly, but we know. Okay, that's a good one. No, it's not a good one. You don't answer the question, you don't get the lollipop. Okay? So here's our simple, our simple truth. We are a dichotomist creation because God is trichotomy. And we were created in in the image of the us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The us. Why are we trying to squelch the Holy Spirit and leave the Holy Spirit out of the deal? 
I had someone say to me very recently that their sister is a part of a church that believes that the Holy Spirit is uh, Trinity. the Trinity is what? Demonic. Oh, boy, that sent chills up my back. dichotomy. There's always another story at the end of that teaching, and that comes from a very major denomination, very old denomination, and there's an end story that has to be told. And I don't think Christ is going to be a part of it. See, for you to attend a particular church to experience salvation... Something's wrong with that picture. It's not free and it's not for all. Now when we look at me being me through me, Christ is still at the center. He still moves and breathes through the perfect part of mankind and that's the spirit. It's redeemed. It's made alive. It's purified and it's perfect. Yes, you have a part of your triunit of man that is absolutely perfect. Doesn't need to be revised, changed, updated, or put new software in there because it is done. And it's where Jesus Christ lives. From that third of perfection, the mind needs to be redeemed. The will needs to be redeemed and renewed. And the emotions need to support it. It needs to dump into the frail human body as Christ's behavior. If you think that Christ is living in a sinful part of your body, boy, you do not understand the exchanged life. He had to purify, redeem, make new, pure, holy, blameless, chosen. He had to put a new identity inside a third of your creation. Go and live there and do the redemption of working out your salvation from that pure spot. That's what happened to you. That's the clarity of this message. Trying to put this black dog, white dog thing going on goes against way too many scriptures. Way too many. But when Christ still stays at the focus and now the hand is going up to not Satan, but going up to Christ. Yep, speak to the hand. And Christ is trying to speak to you. He's trying to change you. He's trying to renew your mind. You're going, speak to the hand. I'm in a rebellion right now. I don't want to... Christ will not argue with you. He will go silent. For years. Maybe even let you go to your casket. Not hearing a voice uttered within your mind of the Holy Spirit. And still be saved. You know people like this. They're stubborn. They're arrogant. But they have an indwelling experience with Christ getting saved. But they're just cold as ice. And we can't look at them and say, well, you're not saved. But that's not our job to determine that. Because they may have had an indwell experience at 8 years of age or 14 years of age. They may be just living this. 
So our simple choices are walk after the flesh. His mind, will, and emotion, spirits, and overflow is there, doesn't change. But this resistance, this rebellious attitude that we have, speak to the hand, blocks us from that flow getting into our mind, our will, our emotions. So therefore, we have to rely upon our own opinions, our own decisions, our own ways, our own interpretation of truth. There's only one way to interpret my husband. He's my husband. He is who he is. I am not he. But I have him in me. There's no other way to look at that. So therefore, what he says is truth. What he says is a part of his being a husband. I have to accept So I am really dogmatic about sticking to a couple old translations. I don't buy into this game where I've got a paraphrase going on here and in my real Bible here and then maybe a couple other translations on a couple other screens. Why do I need this exactly? Jesus, just speak to me. I'll read and you just just speak to me. See what we've done? We make Jesus jump through hoops before we decide to get understanding on a passage. We don't need that. Then when I do go talk to a mentor, uh, someone who loves the word or whatever, and I say, have you ever thought about this passage in this way? Is this my, my own mind or is this Christ speaking through me? To get discernment, to get understanding, to, to get confirmation or I can choose the walking after the spirit and it's his mind willing emotion spirit and overflow dump into my mind which becomes his mind his will his emotions his spirit holy the overflow and it dumps into the body that is to be yielded to him owned by him used by him disciplined by him and it literally becomes a vessel for This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.